You got to ask yourself what's more important. What I'll tell you what's more important to me that I've never ever said no to my kids that asked me to do something physical. Never. There was a day I did three workouts, training for Ironman, I had three workouts. And at five o'clock, my son Noah goes, I want to go downtown, just you and I on our mountain bikes for pizza. You know where I live, Dan. Yeah. If I go down that mountain, I got to tow him up. <laughs> okay. I'm already beat. And I said, absolutely little buddy. Like that'll never, but, but ha, you know, what if I like drank and woke up Saturday morning and they're like, Hey, let's go play basketball. And I'm like hung over in bed and I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm not feeling good. That, that would, that would crush me. What is up, my friend, and welcome to The Dan Go Show. I'm your host, Dan Go, coach to high-performing entrepreneurs and professionals. And what we do at The Dan Go Show is tease out the best practices of the highest-performing entrepreneurs in the world while sharing cutting-edge, evidence-based information to help you become healthier and wealthier. So if that's what you're into, you're in the right place. Click that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts so every time one of my episodes goes live, you'll be the first to know. All right, I have right here, he's my good friend, Dan Martell, and he is the author of Buy Back Your Time. And uh, I've known Dan for, I think it's almost like a decade, uh, when you were running events uh, down in Toronto, you we were running a similar like uh, dinner event. And one thing that uh, just strikes me about you is uh, it's just like the incredible intense drive and energy that you have, and also just the amount of organization that you have around your life that is actually just not even in your hands whatsoever. Literally everything is taken off of your hands by your house manager or by your assistant. And uh, this is a place where I look at it and I'm just like, okay, I got to get myself to, to this spot right here. So Dan, really appreciate you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Dan, it is uh, the Dan's, Dan Squared. It is an honor first off, because I think what you do uh, for your clients and who you are as a person is incredibly inspiring. I know, um, we're like, you know, friends in real life, but kind of through social media, we keep in touch. Um, uh, but just watching you continue to do what you do is awesome. And I appreciate all the advice you've given me over the years. And then I also want to just set an intention. If like, I know you've had incredible people on your podcast, but my intention is to make this one of the best podcasts. And the reason why <laughs> is, uh, I, that's kind of how I wake up every day anyway. So like, I feel if I call my shot, it's going to hold me to a level. And I'm just, I'm just here to give a hundred percent, the rawness, the realness, whatever I can share, like, feel free to go wherever you want, but, um, I'm here to serve. That's very on brand for you because literally like everything you do, it's like, I got to be the best at it. Like it's like, at least, the at least aim for it. I learned a long yes. time ago. It's just a decision. If we don't aim that's a decision. Whether we get there or not is an outcome. And I'm, and this is the crazy part. I'm totally disconnected from the results. So it's like no, no expectations, which is nutty. But yeah, there's a whole weird background to all this. So let's, uh, let's bring it back to the beginning. Um, I was reading your book uh, and the beginning of the book is just like striking. I, I didn't watch your speech that you did at Jason Gaynard's event, uh, which, which a lot of people were actually talking about uh, after, you, after you did it. But Take us back to the beginning. Um, you have this incredible mentality. You're an incredible entrepreneur. Three exits, a lot of stuff, a lot of really cool stuff that you've done, but 
it wasn't always like this. Actually, like you, you basically hit rock bottom when you were like, I actually, I read it was like 12 years old, but around like probably like 12, 13, 17 years old around there. Yeah. I mean, so what's funny is that talk at MMT that you mentioned, that was the first time in my life after 15 years that I ever shared my story ever. Like my Renee was in the room, my wife, who you know, well, never even knew. And I just, you know, Jason said something like, uh, before, uh, by the way, whoever wins, whoever gets voted as best talk of the event, um, I'm going to donate $25,000 to a charity of their choice, which in that moment I was like, well, I'm not going to win if I just do the normal entrepreneurial rah, rah, rah thing. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was the reason that I decided to share what I went through, but essentially, um, you know, there's rock bottom and then there's a hole. I, I literally found myself in a freaking hole. Um, I grew up in a really, uh, challenging environment. My mom was an alcoholic. My dad was, you know, not home a lot cause he was in sales. So he was traveling. I was second oldest of four. I got diagnosed with ADHD when I was 11, put on Ritalin, you know, literally for most of my like childhood life, you know, I always, I thought there was something wrong with me. I literally thought my brain is broken. Now they put me on medication. I acted out at school. I acted out at the house. I had an incredible uh, temper and things just kind of over the years spiraled out of control. I ended up uh, getting taken out of my home, put in uh, the system, crisis centers, group homes, foster care, closed custody, got in trouble with the law um, and, and ended up in juvenile detention, essentially jail the first time when I was 15, ended up back. Um, and I guess my life kind of spiraled into a place where I was hanging out with people twice my age, no self-worth, addicted to, to like literally just addicted to not being sober. So I was doing every possible drug I could get my hands on. And I found myself in a stolen car trying to get away from the police, um, in a high speed chase. And, uh, handgun sitting next to me in my backpack. And I told myself before I stole the car that if the cops stopped me, I was going to pull the gun and let them take my life. And what happened was, is, you know, I was on the highway, took a routine uh, exit to get some gas and there was a a roadblock and I ended up taking off from the police and we got in a chase. And uh, I ended up in this neighborhood and I saw an open garage door and maybe I watched too many uh, car chase movies, but I thought I could like hide in the garage and close the door and make my way out the back or something and ended up coming in with too much speed and crashed into the side of the house Hmm. and airbag goes off, not wearing a seatbelt, just like pure chaos. And as soon as I kind of realized what happened, I go for the gun and I, I found it and I start pulling on it and it got stuck between the hand rest and the kind of the side of the seat. I kept pulling on it and pulling on it. And um, yeah, before I knew it, the door opened and the police grabbed me and literally my feet didn't even touch the ground. They they dragged me across the front lawn and I woke up sober the next day, day um, wondering what my life was going to look like. And at the time, I didn't believe in God. I didn't even have a reference for it, but, you know, I just kind of talked to whoever was listening and said, if you could just like, there was no plan. It was just like, can you help me get through this? And I promise I will be good. That was it. Mm -hmm. Just like, I don't, 
I don't want to go away for years, right? Like, and that was the reality. Based on the severity of my crimes, I ended up getting sentenced to almost a year and a half. Ended up doing six months in an adult prison. Had an experience with a guard named Brian that absolutely transformed my life. He showed up and literally sat me down and told me that I didn't belong in prison. And he couldn't understand. He's like, I, I, I see you stay out of trouble and I see the way you show up and I just don't understand why you're here. And at that point in my life, he would, you know, maybe other adults had said that to me, but like, that was the first time I heard it. And it just shifted everything inside of like, well, if Brian thinks that maybe, you know, I'm 16, 17 at the time. And after six months, I get released to a rehab center and I did 11 months, lived there. It was uh, built on an old church camp. And it was there that I kind of like understood my story and my emotions and kind of what made me tick. And I rebuilt my my self-worth and my confidence and my just ability to process feelings. And it was at the end of that program, you know, I re rebuilt my relationship with my parents and my brothers and sisters. Um, but I was helping Rick, the maintenance guy, clean out one of the cabins um, and in one of the rooms because it was built, you know, on a on an old camp, um, there was a 486 computer and a book on Java programming sitting next to it, this yellow book. And I just, I opened it up, man, like not thinking much about it. I never touched a computer. We didn't have a computer growing up. And there was just something about it that spoke to me. And I just followed the instructions, like literally chapter one. And after 20 minutes, I got the computer to say, hello world. <laughs> and I thought, I, I, some people are probably too young to remember this. I thought it was a Doogie Howser of computer programming. I don't know what, like where that confidence came from because it unfortunately is not true. I'm not a mad computer science genius or anything. But but honestly, it was enough for me to go like, oh, maybe there's a thing here. Maybe my brain is wired for that kind of like logic and thinking. Hmm. And I just leaned in and and I I got out and I discovered this small thing called the internet. And this is 1997. And programming and software became my new addiction. It became my obsession. Business became my outlet, my vehicle, my, my, my focus. And it also became the ultimate personal development program. And, and that's what happened is like at a very young age, I discovered my purpose, right? Which is, uh, and, and this is why it's crazy that it took me 15 years to share this with anybody is for 15 years, three, four times a year, I would go and spend time with kids. I would go to Al-Anon meetings and share my story. I Like it was a big part of my life that I did in secret because I didn't want any of my business uh, relationships or friends or investors to like judge me or not trust me because of what I did as a teenager, um, even though I didn't have a criminal record, et cetera. Mm. And, uh, and honestly, I'm here, man, because of that moment. And I wouldn't change it for anything at all, zero. I have two beautiful kids and a wife I've been married to for a really long time and an incredible life. You know, since then, I mean, as, as you, you know, I've gone on to built and exited. Uh, I started five companies. First two were complete failures. Um, learned a lot, but luckily I started when I was young and when I was mm -hmm. 24, I became a millionaire and then built a few more companies out of Silicon Valley, exited those, started investing in companies. So I've invested in you know, 50 plus companies, you know, combined revenue, like probably close to 20 billion in revenue for the more unicorns. I mean, I just, the life I live today and, and today, I mean, I run the largest software coaching program for CEOs in the world, SAS Academy. Yeah. I have my high speed ventures, which is my, my vehicle for investing. I have an incredible team there and we look at deals every week. And, um, 
And then, as you know, I'm really active, like three Ironmans last year. I uh, just told you, I don't know if I told yeah, like a Spartan race this year, mm. plus a 50K ultra, like, and I'm committed to my marriage and my kids. And that's, that's who I am. And none of that would have came if I didn't go through what I just shared. Zero. I feel like there's so many ways we can go about that. Cause like when you went to rehab, you got away from your family situation. You basically just like stopped drinking you stopped doing drugs. You stop doing these addictive behaviors. Do you think that gave you a little bit of a push towards, I guess you could say, thinking a certain way? Because like you didn't, at some point you just said, okay, well now I'm just going to be sober. And once you become sober, then you zoom out. You're able to see things for what they are. So like what exactly happened when you gave up all that stuff? You were going through rehab. And then what, what do you feel is like the catalyst towards you kind of like having this belief in yourself? You know, I think it was, it started definitely with that moment with Brian in prison. Um, and it was an adult prison. I actually got sentenced to this crazy place that had two juvenile cell blocks. So that, that in itself was an experience, but it started with Brian and then it was all these incredible people, Mark Pence, you know, George, like all these. So what was unique about Portage where I went to is that all the staff were ex-drug addicts. Very unique. Like, you know, George spent 20 years in Mexico, Mexican prison. So when he would tell you something, you listened. Um, you know, Herc, like all these crazy personalities, but they came from a place of love. Like they literally said, like, if you do not change your behavior, you will end up right where I'm at, if you're lucky, because most people end up dead. So it's either dead institution or jail. Um, so I would say there was just, an incredible amount of people that I respected. And that, that I think that was the big shift for me. I'm the kind of guy, and it's same thing with me when I hire coaches. Like I just cannot listen to somebody who hasn't been where I want to go because I just, just don't trust the advice. So prior to that, I'd been in family therapy sessions, 21-day programs, like all these people that... Like they say, well, this is the way it works in, in psychology. I'm like, look, you tell me about your story. You tell me about the hole you climbed out of. Okay. If you want to tell me where to put my hands on my feet, you tell me how you get out of there. And they never could. They, they'd they always pretend like they understood, but they didn't. But when you have somebody like Brian, who's seen, he'd worked at this prison for a decade. He's seen hundreds of kids come and go. And he's telling me, dude, you don't belong here. You are not like the rest of them. I listen. And that, and that, that's what I think started it. And then what happens, I think, cause I've been around addiction my whole life, just supporting other people. Cause I believe we can only keep what we give away. And what I've discovered is like the addictive personality. A lot of people might experience this through ADHD or other forms of, you know, whatever labels, um, that, that you just substitute. So I just got mm -hmm. lucky that I substitute my dad would joke. He goes, because he saw this in me when I was a kid. He goes, if you could just find something you're passionate about that isn't illegal, I think you'd do well. He would beg me. He's like, oh my gosh, Dan, you're so talented, but holy moly, you make bad decisions. <laughs> and uh, that that's what happened is I just became addicted and obsessed with writing code and building products that people paid and use. Like that was it. Hmm. And that honestly kind of still there still yeah. absolutely love creating anything that helps other people 
And what's changed is, I think, over the years, the dark energy to light energy. And we can double click on that. But it's just mm -hmm. the simple concept of like, when I started, I was trying to prove people wrong. And, and now I'm trying to be of service to as many people as possible. And so, so it's just a different fuel source that I think you have to go through. I talk about it in the book around um, the five time assassins and like just some people get addicted to chaos. And, and that could work at first because it creates mm -hmm. this resiliency in this person who can deal with uncertainty. But it'll also, you know, like a negative fuel source can clog up the, the system, bringing in a lot of emotional shrapnel. But yeah, that, that's what happened for me. It was people and then addiction to a positive behavior. Cause here, I, and I'll just stop at this day cause I can talk for freaking a long time without stopping. Um, the difference between Dan Martell and that person that's unhoused on the side of the road is about this much. Mm. And we think it's more, we think mm. it's this like, Oh, you're completely. Nope. I got lucky and discovered at a very young age, a positive coping mechanism to deal with me. And unfortunately, that person who has an addiction has not. And we are not dissimilar at all. Yeah. And if anything, it's why I spend so much time working with at-risk youth because I see so much potential. They don't even realize it. They don't realize that their gift of gab, their gift of risk-taking, their gift of negotiation, their gift of, of all these things are literally what makes up the entrepreneurial community that they admire, that they don't even think that they have the skill to do. So like one of the programs I run is, uh, I call it the 420 program, as you can imagine why. Because <laughs> um, again, I'm a marketer. So it's like chocolate broccoli. Like they want to, and, and I always teach them, it's like, I'm going to build your confidence through building business. It's a Trojan horse. I'm going to teach you how to get the bag, as the kids say. Um, but in that journey, I'm really going to teach you the personal development path you need to go on to get the bag, right? Mm -hmm. And um and that's what I think happened is just I became addicted to a positive behavior and then over the years created the space for me to do all caps the work, right? Mm -hmm. A lot yeah. of people don't do the work and I got lucky. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh they they get caught up in I guess you could say the shadow, uh not knowing that the shadow can actually lead to the light and uh when you said something uh before which was uh you know your doing it to prove people wrong. I feel like that was me to a very large extent when I started my personal training journey. I just wanted to prove everyone wrong that I can actually do this when everyone thought that I was like a, a fucking loser and just like not doing stuff with my life. And and once you actually go from your addictions towards trying to numb the world away and trying to use those towards actually servicing people and trying to help as many people as possible, that's actually just like trading one really just I guess you I guess you could say destructive uh, addiction for something that is much more conducive to living a fulfilling life. Um, a couple things that came to mind right now because I remember that when Renee was pregnant, I think it was uh, with uh, your first child, you were still drinking alcohol at that time, right? And then when she got pregnant, you decided that's it. And now, right now, you're about 10 years sober, Yeah, I would say. Almost like 10, years 10 years in May. Yeah, about three uh, months away from a decade. Yeah. I myself, have, I've actually, like, I did a video on it. I'm like 120 days away from alcohol. I wasn't necessarily drinking every day, but I was like drinking once a week. And it's made like some tremendous impact on my life. What was your decision to get away from alcohol and to just stop drinking? Well, I knew better. Okay. So like when I got out of rehab, I was sober 
you know, not California sober as they say today, <laughs> but like I didn't do anything. And I, and, and I associate it with death. Like that was the identity connection was if I do these things, I will die. Like I will accidentally mm. kill myself. I will get into a depression. Like I been there, done that. Don't want to go back. And I think I was sober for about two years. And I remember I was at a party and it was a bunch of my high school friends. And I had a moment of weakness. I decided to have a drink mm. and a drink turned into a dozen. And, and then I just started drinking again. And I did that for, for 12 years on and off. And dude, the amount of pain, the amount of challenges that introduced to my life along the way in my book, I actually talk about the self-medicator because that's what, that's yeah. what it was. It was, I used it to celebrate. I used it to deal with, with downtimes. I, 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 I would quit for a while. I would start again. I would do something stupid, embarrass myself. And like, it just went on for a long time. And you know, what happened was, is Renee and I were away in, um, in, in, uh, Luthra, I think it was Luther. It was, it was in that area, like some Island. Uh, one of my investors had this spot and he lent it to us and, uh, it was just beautiful. We're like golf carts and blah, blah, blah. It was just like this epic, beautiful place. And, so, and she's not drinking cause she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I obviously went to the liquor store and she like, when I came back to the condo, she's like, are we hosting a party? Like what, what do we, and I'm like, no, you know, like we probably, and she, and anyways, the first night I, I literally got like stupid drunk and we got in a fight and I remember waking up the next morning and, and I was just like, enough's enough. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, I don't want to create unnecessary pain. Like I'm not avoid, like, look, I'm not trying to say my kids won't have challenges, but I was just like, if I fast forward 25 years and I drink there is a 110% probability that over that 25 years, I will make a bad decision mm. that will create emotional pain in my family's life that's just not necessary. And I know better. And, and, and somehow, and dude, I don't, like somebody spoke to me and just said, just stop. Mm. And luckily, I decided to stop. And I am the first in my history, my parents, my mom was adopted. Her parents were alcoholics. My dad, his parents were alcoholics. I am the person who decided in my lineage enough's enough. And, and even my brothers, they still drink a little bit and a little bit too much. And I think they would admit to that. But again, I'm, I've never said anything because I'm, I'm, I'm a shine the light, like lighthouse guy. I'm not a tugboat. It's like, hmm. I do things for me. And if that inspires people, great but I will never be the person that says like, you shouldn't do that or you should consider that. I save that for my social media, which is super fun as an, as an outlet. I use my yeah. social as an outlet to deal with the things around me that I see that I can't, that I don't say anything because if people don't ask, I don't share. But um, that was the moment that I decided to stop. And that's why it's cool that I know, I know how long it's been because it's the age of my son. Hmm. So it's like, I never have to like, oh, how many years has it been? How old is Max? Hmm. And, um, you know, and honestly, if you ask Renee, I don't think she thought that it would last. I think she was like, sure. And it was like six months. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Pierre's bachelor party, my brother's bachelor. Or, uh, oh, this event. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. And it was probably like four years. Like four years of finally, I think she went like, 
oh, Dan's serious. Like this isn't, Dan's never going to start. She's seen enough times where, you know, people that I enjoy spending time with are like super kind of like vibey spaces or beaches or whatever that like, of course he's going to drink that I didn't. Um, and that's the thing when you quit, people are going to test you. And they, and honestly, I don't blame them at all. Like, of course they will. Why wouldn't they? You, you, you have like a few days in or a few months in and it's like, let's see. So yeah, that, that's, uh, that's my journey, man. I just decided enough's enough. And it was, my dad will tell you today, it's one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life other than marrying Renee. He like, yeah. he loves my wife and then quitting drinking. Yeah. She is special a hundred percent. And what type, like when you gave up the, we call it the sauce, but when you gave up alcohol, what type of benefits did you feel immediately in your life? And, and here's the thing. It's like, I talked to so many founders. It's so prevalent in terms of like how much alcohol they have in their lives. They basically use it to numb almost like every single thing, whether it comes to celebrating a, a win, whether it comes to uh, trying to get away from the stress and it's actually a pretty serious thing when I talk to a lot of people, especially people who are just like high level entrepreneurs. So what do you feel like your benefits uh, or the benefits that you experienced when you gave up alcohol? It's like, it's, it's kind of, you, you learn to feel what normal, mm. like you think you're normal before, like, the, dude, you see it, Dan. I like, you know, I live in a society and I go out and I see people and I'm like, how do they not know that the way they are like they think that the way they feel is normal. And if they could get into my body and my head, they would be like, holy crap. Like there's a, really? It's like, yeah, really? <laughs> all the time? All the time. You know what I mean? But they're just like living, they just got used to this. So like waking up without a hangover, um, mm. the ability to just be consistent, never having to apologize, the amount of arguing and friction and challenges and dude, the, the financial costs, like, dude, I mean, I, I never stopped because of that, but I'll tell you, I save a lot of money, man. Like it was just kind of yeah. dumb and just the dumb decisions you make. So like the, the benefits have been off the charts and like, the, there's just, I don't know, like the, it's been so long now that this is my new norm that I forget, you know, mm. how much it took away from me. But like, I just, I don't know. Like, you got to ask yourself what's more important. What, I'll tell you what's more important to me that I've never, ever said no to my kids that asked me to do something physical. Never. There was a day I did three workouts. Training for Ironman, I had three workouts. And at five o'clock, my son Noah goes, I want to go downtown, just you and I on our mountain bikes for pizza. You know where I live, Dan. Yeah. If I go down that mountain, I got to tow him up. <laughs> Okay. I'm already beat. And I said, absolutely little buddy, like that'll never, but, but ha, you know, what if I like drank and woke up Saturday morning and they're like, Hey, let's go play basketball. And I'm like hung over in bed and I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm not feeling good. That, that would, that would crush me. Cause that was my reality. Like growing up, my dad worked a lot and we had four kids and emotionally and physically he just wasn't there. And like people go like, did you play sports growing up? I'm like, no, I didn't. We played in the woods. We played with ourselves. We played with our neighborhood kids. But no, we never played organized sports. Um, I started skateboarding as a young kid. Um, but yeah, like I just, there's just so many benefits. And um, and the, the big one is just like a mental clarity, like no yeah. brain fog, sharp um, energy, like mode, like 
I think this is what people, the, people see me today and they go like, where do you find the energy? And what I think they don't understand is it's in every person. And I can prove it. I can prove it a thousand percent. You can decide to be depressed and, and slow and, and your physiology will change or you can decide to be excited. Like if I put $10 million in your bank account and say it's yours, you will physically have a reaction to that. Well, that's a thought. That's a decision, right? I always tell my clients when I coach them, we don't have energy, we create energy. I am already a nuclear power plant of energy. I can decide at any moment to just step it up and I don't need any external substance to do that. So like mm. just the amount of capacity that you discover to show up, to be focused, to create, to support, to participate in your life is next level. Yeah. Beautifully said. And uh, you did touch upon something in terms of like the biking. So uh, I believe it was like uh, last year you did about three Ironmans and you actually have some more physical feats that you are uh, planning to achieve in this year. I think, uh, what was it? A, it was a Spartan race and an ultra marathon. Yeah, I got, I got a Spartan and a 50K ultra with about 3,000 meters of elevation. Nuts. Uh, okay, so what drives you to do these physical feats for yourself? And uh, also, how do you manage the training along with running a a multi two eight figure companies yeah, yeah two eight figure companies yeah um one thing if you ask me like what's the belief and why do i do hard things it's this we and it's seneca said something like this it's we have to tame the body so that we can control the mind hmm. so if you want more if you want the ability to direct your thoughts in the most positive supportive problem solving, critical thinking, resourceful manner, you have to exhaust the body. It's, mm -hmm. I don't know how else to explain it, but you know, I was going to do a video this morning on my Instagram about it because essentially what I do is like this morning I was doing pull-ups and stuff, Spartan. I got to work on my grip strength and all that stuff. And I literally go to failure, drop down, count to three to five seconds and go try to do one or two more. If I don't do the one or two more, it doesn't have the same impact. Like there's just literally something about exhausting your body to failure and waiting a th three seconds. You can do this with pushups right now. If you're listening to this, drop down, do 20. You'll probably end up doing seven. Drop down, do, do whatever you can, unless you're super fit. And then you're, you know, get to failure, wait three or four seconds and go do one or two. Those one or two unlock something in my mind. I cannot explain. It's like, uh, it's that, it's that addiction. It's that high, but in that place, holy moly. Dan, I can do anything. I can call the CEO of any company I want in the world. I can hire any person I want in the world. I can ask for the order from any potential customer in the world. Like there's just this like mental part. So for me, the physical component is, is not for the body, although that is a side benefit. It's more for the mind. And if people have not heard of 75 Hard, it's an incredible mental toughness program. I've done it four times. Highly recommend it. Um, you know, I've done things like the 12 hour walk, highly recommend that. That's an incredible one to just learn to love yourself. Uh, and maybe you won't figure that out on your walk, but it doesn't matter. But there's like, to me, I do the physical stuff and I think it's important. There's this concept, a Japanese concept called the Misogi. Uh, and I got it from, um, Jesse Itzler. Okay. Shout mm. out to Jesse. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I love buying stuff to make my life better. 
Okay. I am, I am the easiest person to sell anything to. And Jesse came out with like this, uh, build your life plan or build your life resume or something like that. It was a program. I spent thousands of dollars, bought it, didn't even look at it, read one concept called the Masogi. And, and I just decided that was part of it. And if that was all I got from it, it was worth it. And I'm sure it's awesome. But just personally, I just like, sometimes I open a book. That's why I named my book, Buy Back Your Time. If you don't even read the book, I hope you got the concept, right? And um, so that's why like every year I choose one major physical challenge that I know will change me. Because if it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you, right? Is that what the Masogi is? To do one physical challenge for yourself? Like what's the concept of Masogi? As Jesse answers it, uh, explains it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a Japanese concept of doing one extremely physically tough thing per year mm. to um, to remind yourself of your capability and your capacity, right? Mm. And uh, now I did the Spartan because it, it, here's what's fun, Dan. Like on the way to a full distance Ironman, you're, you, you kind of get fit so you can do a 5k, a 10k, a half marathon, multiple times, a marathon. Uh, I swam six and a half kilometers across the lake. I mean, you end up building capacity for other things that in any other year would be like the Masogi that you just happen to do in training. So it's kind of nuts that, you know, sometimes when we aim for something big, we end up doing a bunch of other relatively big things that you just take for granted. Like I would just go out and run half marathons as part of training. I wouldn't even think about it or do like 150 K bike rides, you know? That's well, uh, in my brain, you know, I'm, I'm actually trying to say that or trying to avoid saying that's nuts because I don't want to send that, that message to my brain to say that those things are actually crazy to do. Um, when I hear you say though, like doing like one physical thing a year that just challenges you, I'm looking at myself and I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to be like deadlifting like 500 pounds? Am I going to be, that's uh, a good one. Like a marathon. I don't have yeah, that, yet. Yeah, I don't I, have that like comma that. yet. Hear what I said yeah. yet. Yeah. Cause I will have that. <laughs> I would actually say the running one because I hate running and this is one of the things that I've been going back and forth to my audience with. And it's just like, I hate running. So I just like swim and something like that. But I, I, I really think, and this is actually inspiring me right now. I'm just like, well, I, now I think I have to do running because I don't even like it. And now I have to basically like force myself to, to like it based on what you're Guess saying. Guess which right sport now. or discipline I hate the most? Running. <laughs> Swimming. Swimming. Oh, yeah. Three years I ago, remember. I couldn't swim. Started doing triathlons. Oh, refuse to wear spandex. You can't swim in board shorts. Yeah. Okay. It's not very efficient. And last year after I did that six and a half K swim, I think I got to a place where like, it's okay. I don't hate it. Mm-hmm. I don't love it, but it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's neat that now I have this discipline that is now a thing. And, th- and this is what I think people miss in this journey. Cause like when I just did this whole like unpacking of my kind of like achievement framework, right. Kind of like most people call them goal setting strategy, but I call it an achievement framework and, um, it's involved. And a lot of people go like, wow, you do all that. And it's like, to them, it's wow, because it looks like a lot of stuff for me, it just become second nature. So like, it would be weird for me today not to work out at least an hour a day. Like Mm -hmm. it would just be like, 
if I didn't work out for two days in a row, it'd be weird because I work out every day. And the moments that I take two days off, it just feels weird. It's kind of like not wearing pants. Like, you know how you, it'd be weird to walk around your house dressed up top and not wearing pants. It, that's the same kind of. And so like what happens, I think for people is they see this output and you say, wow, that is nuts. Right. Mm. But it's only not nuts in relation to that person's either standard identity or habits. And mm. I learned the idea of habit stacking from Hal Elrod. He's the one that really like crystallized it for me. Before that, I was accidentally doing it, but he wrote a book called The Morning Miracle. Mm. Um, and, you know, the idea is, is you, you connect your habits to other things so that it just like becomes a trigger and then becomes part of just what you do. So like a lot of the stuff when people go, well, like, how do you live? And I, I walk them through how I live. Like you said at the beginning, it feels like a lot, but it doesn't start with all of it. It started with this one and then you build it. It's kind of like a system. That's why like in my book, I unpack how I create repeatable, scalable systems. Because if you look at my chapter 26 and you're at chapter one of your life, that looks daunting. Mm. But if you looked at my chapter one, you'd probably feel really good about yourself. Can we talk about your systems a little bit right now? Uh, because uh, before this call, we were talking about kind of like uh, how your life is essentially managed by other people who know what your best interests are. Um, when a founder is maybe listening to this interview, they're like, how does he have the time to do all this stuff? Like, what does he eat? Um, how does he like actually like run his life? How's he, how's he actually like have the time to not only work out, be a great dad, to run two eight-figure businesses, like what? What is this guy on? What is this guy doing? So, what are your systems for life that enable you to work out, spend time with your family, um, to make sure that you have like uh, really healthy food in your possession at all times? Uh, can you run us through that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I'm a principles guy, so I always I always chunk up to the principle, and then I can break it down into the activity and the systems. The mm -hmm. principle is this: I only do one of two things. I work on creating output that only I can do. And I spend time with people that I enjoy and love. That is it. So anything that does not look like that, okay? And we can make a whole long list, but we can just start like, and I, and I know some people, I'm either gonna inspire them or I'm gonna irritate them. But I don't put gas in my car. I don't put shit together that I buy off the internet. I don't manage anything in my home life. I don't manage any acts and neither does my wife. Um, and then on the work side, I literally do not participate in work products that any other person in the world could do at this level because I understand my buyback rate and everybody should. It's chapter two of my book. I'll leave it at mm. that. Um, and so like I've gotten to a place where my whole day and it's funny is because like some people might go like, wow, that guy's super lazy. And I'm at the same time, the most probably highest output capacity person any of my friends know, right? They always make fun. They, they have this whole like podcast joke they make, they, they make up like Matt Bertulli and those guys, they're like, mm -hmm. they call it super privilege podcast. <laughs> they're like in chapter or episode 13 of super privilege, uh, Dan discovers where his, uh, his, uh, friggin' uh, composting machine is like, I don't <laughs> even know. Like, I don't, I don't know. My dad find it weird that like, he's like, well, how much did you pay for your sauna? And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, how do you not know? I go, because I didn't buy it. And he's like, well, who did? I said, Betty. Well, she didn't ask you first? I said, no. <laughs> we, we create the system so that people can move through it. Now, what I know is that if it was outside of the norm of Asana, she would ask me, but it wasn't because we have a system. Like 
If I want a sauna, I don't care how much it is. I just don't want to pay three times as much as the next person. So as long as she finds the highest rated one within 20% of the, you know, the price point, she moves it forward. And it's so funny how like when you think about these things, like, like even with my meals, right? Mm-hmm. She has my macros. She knows my macros and what, what I, I, I target every day. So what do I eat? She also understands high level what my preference are. It'd be nice if those two are together. But at the same time, I don't care as long as the macros are hit, right? And she gets to make decisions. Um, we talked about like when I go to restaurants, my executive assistant looks at the menu and makes the decision for what I'm going to have based on what I told her, which is high level lean and mean protein, lean protein and greens. And she decides, and then I don't look at the menu. So imagine you're mm. sitting at a restaurant, they hand you a menu and you just take the menu and you put it down, you keep your conversation going. And when they ask you, what do you want? You open up your calendar and it's, I say, I'm going to have the harvest salad with chicken dressing on the side. Like, dude, I don't. And this is the other thing about just decision-making fatigue. Mm-hmm. I save all of my decisions for my creative pursuits. I wear the same clothes. I wear um, Kit and Ace. I love Kit and Ace. Okay. And you, if Kit and Ace is listening to this, you should sponsor me or let me buy into the company. Like I want in on that company. Zevia, same thing. Patty, you should take yeah. my money. I know you don't need it, but I want in on the Zevia side. But like, I just take all the decisions out of it so that... I'm using those cycles for things that are important. And then training wise, last year was a bit nuts. Okay. I'm not going to lie. 22, 24 hours a week of training gets, gets to the family. So now I have a new rule in place that 10 hours a week is the max. Hmm. So when I was choosing my Masogi this year, I had to choose something that wouldn't require 22. Big reason is 22 for Ironman is because of the three disciplines. Now that it's one discipline, which is run uphill, it's I can get that maybe there'll be a week where I got to do 15 hours, maybe, right? But it wasn't like a lot of weeks of 15 to 20 and then ramping up to taper. So like you just, I know I just keep pushing and, and learning, but like, you know, I also design my life to have the perfect week and I'm very, I honor my calendar. So like, there's just a bunch of stuff like, oh, the other thing I do is net time. So no extra time. So yeah. like I do... Dude, a guy flew in from Florida last week to Kelowna just for the hike because he wanted to talk with me. I have an open spot every week, 6.30 a.m. at the base of Knox. If you want to come hang out, it's invite. I, I, I'm I going to have to stop staying on podcasts because I feel like there's going to be a lot of people who are going to show up. But, um, but, but that way, you know, because people are like, hey, let's do coffee. Nope. I can't, dude, I know for a fact I haven't said yes to a coffee meeting Actually, I'm lying. There was a, a nonprofit CEO that I really, really wanted to meet with. And he asked me and I said, yes. But other than that, probably six, seven years. I just don't do it. I'd rather let's hang out. Let's go for a walk. I do hikes with my coaching clients. Um, I do all my team, internal team meetings on my bike and my trainer in my pain cave for my cardio foundation. Um, you know, I obviously it's, yeah, I mute myself and, and you can, you know, you got to have a team that, is okay with that. I wouldn't do it in the all hands, but I definitely do it with my executive leadership team. Um, and it turns out I'm more creative. Like it's when you're, I mean, is there a surprise that when you go to the gym, you have all these breakthroughs that if you're actually like on spinning your legs, now this isn't like doing like Russian sprints on my bike. It's, you know, 130, like zone two stuff. Right. So like zone two on a bike, listening to the call, you know, participating, whatever. Um, dude, I do, uh, I did, uh, Darren Hardy has a program BMC. I forget what it stands for business something. And it was a two day or three day seminar. And I did it 
pretty much eight hours a day on my bike. Like there's ways to integrate fitness and work into your life, even your kids, right? Like, Hey, if you have kids and you got to go do a long bike ride, put them in a, a, a cage or like get some straps. Like I have, I get these straps that go from my bike to their bike. Um, I just feel like people aren't as creative as they could be to try to do more. Right. And, and as you know, I'm a big fan of incorporating other people to it because it, again, that's another net time. It's like, these are people I want to spend time with. I look at my calendar. I don't have time. Hey guys, Brad, do you want to come for a run? Dan, do you want to come for a hike? Hey, do you want to like, I've dude, I've done like a uh, swim bike run in the same day and have different people join me for different trainings. <laughs> But it's because I use my calendar as this like puzzle to crack, right? And I go out and I go, okay, well, here's all the things that are important to me. How do I fit it in? Okay, I'm at capacity. Then I always go to my buyback loop, which is something I teach to run the audit transfer fill. And I look for opportunities to net time things so that, you know, I could squeeze it all in. Dude, I, I just know this. Today was my last day. No regrets. Super like, and honestly, I don't like, cause I know my creator and where I'm going and I know people would be sad if I left. I, I'd be mm. good. Like I'm like, there's no, there's no concern. I think a lot of people fear death because they have a lot of unaccomplished, uh, uh, you know, like, dude, for me to say I'm an Ironman, do you understand how ridiculous that is to me? I refused to wear spandex three and a half years ago. Okay. I used to make fun of the guy on the side of the road, Saturday morning at 7 a.m. On a, on a road bike. I literally remember several hundred times driving to Tim Hortons to get coffee because my wife likes Tim Hortons. Don't know why, but she does. So I go get her her coffee <laughs> at 7 a.m. in the morning and looking at the guy on a road bike in his spandex and go, what a life. Why is that guy doing that? That sounds so boring. And then I became that guy. So like, I also get how people have these identities and if they're willing to keep pushing and exploring that they'll wake up one day and go like, wow, I became that person. And that's a mm -hmm. pretty cool thing, right? Either a provider in your family, a partner for their wife, um, you know, somebody that's involved in their community. Like there is no levels. The only level is the decision to take action towards a goal or a dream. Hmm. You've mentioned this a couple of times uh, in this interview and you mentioned God, uh, the creator or your creator. And you also mentioned that there's like this voice that's inside of you. Can you extrapolate your relationship to God or what other people would call the universe or whatever they want to call it? Like, what is your relationship to God? So a, I'm not religious. So first off, whatever weird dogmatic beliefs you have about religion, you can just crumple those up and throw them out a window because that ain't me, okay? What I am is incredibly spiritual and understand that there is a spirit in, in, in every living thing in the world and our creator gave humans this beautiful ability to create, which is unique to the human race. And um, the more I've gotten to know God as a word, like people, I don't want to hijack, but I'm just going to say God and understand that for me, if you wanted to like say, well, what is God? I would literally say love. Love is the emotion that is left when all other emotions are taken away. Right. And, and so like that big L love inside of me is 
is just, I don't know, man, when I, I try, I, you know, I try to have these moments of just like nothingness. It sounds weird, but like, I think people listen to this and go, man, that guy's running from something and you wouldn't be wrong. A, probably two years ago, you wouldn't be wrong. Um, but I've now discovered through my creator, through my faith, through, through all this stuff that um, there's two parts of my spirit. There's my body and my mind. And then there's my soul and my spirit. There's two parts. Okay. And there's like the tactical stuff that I do, the personal development and all that stuff to deal with the body and the mind, the physical stuff to deal with the body and the mind. Then there's the spiritual stuff I do, the cold plunges, my breath work, my meditation, my gratitude journaling, my, my visualization board, my, um, my walks, right? That is really to just remember who I am. Like, the, and it's funny because we can get into some pretty nerdy stuff, but like, who is the I? Mm. Who is the I am? People... It's funny. I had, a, I had an executive offsite, uh, but six months ago and we were, I don't know, we were talking about meditation. My team always likes to ask me about my life. And one of my guys, um, was like, yeah, you know, I've never really done a lot of like that kind of work. And I was like, you know, I, and, and I was, I, I know, <laughs> cause I'm like, yeah, cause I can see where it's showing up in your, your conversations. And, and I explained to him, I was like, I just want to like plant this seed that in your mind right now, there's two conversations happening. There's the person speaking and there's the one that hears it. Hmm. And it's like his head exploded. And then, then he, he it was, it was like done. He's like, Whoa. and it was like, he had this realization and it, and like, he's doing it. So I can see his eyes. He's like, Oh, Oh no. Like, what, what does this mean? And I was like, there's levels like you can now go on a journey to figure out what does this mean? But I just want you to now know that, you know, there's this ego and this elephant that's running around. That's, that's low level program designed to keep you safe. And then there's the rider and that rider is made of pure love, spirit and soul. And he has a hard time because like who you are at your core, who I am at my core is not that even though I do show up as that. I'm not that. And, and that's what's awesome for me because to bring it full circle, Dan, that's what Brian saw in me. He saw that, that the Dan I always knew I was, that people for some reason always said I wasn't. Like, hmm. And it cracked me open. It was like, because I kind of knew it. It was like weird. It was like knowing that what they were saying weren't true, but didn't have proof. But when he said it, then all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's what it is. And man, that's the fun part is today is like, I am a ferocious creator and I am here to honor my God because he created me in his image and he gave me like legit unlimited capacity to do good, to serve other people, to contribute. And at the same time, it's, it's this weird dichotomy and duality for a lot of people that don't understand this. There's no expectation of accomplishment and, and, and happiness is in just pure being, right? In the moment, right now with you, dude, right? Like just being here with nothing else on the mind and pure flow. And like, 
people, I literally, I know when people ask me this, they're like, you know, they're like, do you ever think of just slowing down? I know what they're trying to say because they think that I'm like driven by all this like um, craziness, but I'm luckily self-aware enough because of my faith that I understand the deeper why and meaning behind it all. And what's nuts, it makes me want to do more because mm. I know I have more. And the cool part is, is every human in the world has that. I call it their giftedness. And what I do, I try to do as often as I can is to recognize people's giftedness in them and to verbally tell them and to slow down the conversation and look at them in the eyes and just honor their soul and their spirit. Because that's truly who they are, regardless of any bad decisions they've ever made or the way they showed up or the ego got triggered or whatever. That's not who they are. That person, I need to tell them. And if you ever, next time you see Max and Noah, go tell me about how your dad tells you about you. And they will mm. laugh and go, I hate it when he does it. Eh, he's always wants to tell me about me. And I'm like, yeah, I will do that for the rest of my life. And you know, what's funny is Noah, Noah will go, well, we'll I put him in the bed and he'll come over and he'll like lay next to me and he'll go like, don't tell me about me, dad. Dita, <laughs> I don't want you to tell me about me. And I'm like, all right. But there is this one thing that I think you should know. And he's like, okay. And he want you know what I mean? Like he wants me to tell him, but he's, cause yeah. like to me, that is, I think the, I think that's actually part of, of, of spirit. I think it's important for us to recognize spirit in other people because if we actually do believe in oneness and that we all come from the same place, which I do, then when you're acknowledging somebody else's givenessness, you're actually just reinforcing it in yourself. Hmm. Anyways, I, there's a lot to unpack, but I think I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, when I think about God and also just uh, this conversation that we're having right now, I would say that uh, it's almost like signals are signposts. Um, you reach for the gun, it can't come out until the cops get there. Then you have, uh, then you have Brian and then you have the JavaScript <laughs> that is lying there and you're like, oh, maybe I should like try this out. And um, it's almost like uh, everyone can think that things are coincidences or you can think that things happen for a reason. And, and, you know, it's far be it for me to say, I, I do believe that we're all here for a reason and we're all here for showing our most unique gifts out there to the world. So uh, thank you so much for, for sharing that, man. I really appreciate that. Uh, let's get to this book a little bit. And number one, um, fantastic book. I'm taking notes. I'm actually doing the exercises that come along with it. It's really, it's a, it's actually more like a personal self development book that is masked as a business book. So, what inspired you to write the book? Buy back your time. Very simple. I have all my most of my friends are entrepreneurs, like my my closest friends, and they're not in software. A lot of people know me as the software as a service guy, SaaS. But as you know, like all, most of my friends are you know, service agency, local services, et cetera. And I just continued to see them over the last 20 years hit this point, this ceiling mm. that I, I've called the pain line. And the pain line is a point where 
if they were to grow their business, it would create havoc on their calendar. And because of that, they decide to do one of three things when they hit the pain line. They either decide to sell the business. I get this all the time. Like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I get the call. Um, and I usually just ask them a simple question. Well, what's wrong? And they tell me. And I go, if those things weren't wrong, would you want to sell the business? And the answer is no. And I say, well, good news is I have the solution. You're now at a point where you're ready to hear the answer. And you absolutely can keep owning and growing this thing if you change your approach. The other one is stall, right? Because people are like, hey, last year, I worked half as much and made twice as much profit. Not, I don't disagree. But I also know that you did not create anything that was valuable to the market. Um, you didn't create anything that's sustainable. You haven't created anything that can protect you and your loved ones in case something happened. Like you just haven't created enough to get to a place where you should stop. And what I've discovered is when you decide to stall, the market doesn't stop wanting a better service. So if you decide to stop investing in your team or whatever, they're going to go somewhere else. Um, GDP growth happens whether you're not like the whole world is on this, like never ending as part of the, you know, human psychology and like it's part of our DNA, right? We always want the new iPhone and your top people. This is the biggest one. Your top people if they don't see a future big enough for their dreams to exist within, they will go find somebody that can paint them that picture. And I'll tell you, your best people will not resonate with a story of, hey, let's stop growing. Mm. Right? Because they probably have some desire to get a promotion or to do more, et cetera. And then the third one is sabotage, which is, you know, this is the one that's fascinating to me because as a coach, I see it all the time. It's the self-sabotage, the decisions to drag their feet on an email opportunity, the responding to a text message that could unlock a huge partnership, the not making the decision to hire somebody, and all those things end up going away, right? Like if somebody's ready to accept a job offer and you don't send the job offer, they're going to go take the other one because they didn't hear back from it. And dude, it's like... People listening to this, you know, if it's if you have those emails in your inbox, I need you to find a moment of power and reply and go and move. And you better go get my book because your life will look a little nutty right after. But here's why. The buyback principle is a first principle, okay? I'm a, I'm a software math systems guy. And here's what it states. You don't hire people to grow your business. You hire people to buy back your time. Mm. What do I mean by this? It's a calendar over capacity thing. And... The cool part is if you focus on the CEO's calendar, you actually build capacity. But it's a, it's a first principle because most people don't realize that you can't build a $10 million a year company off $10 tasks. And if I sat there and did a time and energy audit, which I teach in my book, it's part of the buyback loop, um, I would definitely see that. Right. And I would see opportunities where you're not transferring stuff and, you know, just missing out on opportunities. So that's why I wrote it. I wrote it because the people I love the most were hitting this. And I never, I only coach software entrepreneurs. And like, I only have so much time in a day to explain all this. And when you work with me, it's the first thing we do because it sets the framework. That's why I love that you said that. It, 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 it's a personal development program disguised as a business growth program. And you're right because a lot of the stuff is all about the belief and the mindsets and, and where people self-sabotage. I have this whole chapter on the five time assassins that are mm. self-inflicted. And then, and then just like they're thinking this and nobody explained it to them. I never got taught this stuff. I had to learn this the hard way, right? I had to move to Silicon Valley. I had to have my fiance, I talk about in the book where I used to be engaged to another woman in my twenties and she left me. 
because I didn't understand any of this. And it created an incredible amount of pain that forced me to figure this out and, and codify it. And, um, and I just wanted to put it in a structure that when people finally, you know, have my rule as I can't help you unless you're swimming towards me, when they, when they start to swim towards me, here's the book. Okay. Cause I don't have eight hours to sit down with you and unpack this. I got 45 minutes for a hike or an hour for a run, but you really, and I think a book really is this, this beautiful tool that allows people to get inside their own psychology within the content. So like I had a woman yesterday message me, she's part of our, our early um, launch team reading the digital copy. And she said, she goes, my dad was a home builder. So my brother was a home builder and I talk about him in the book. And I mean, it's an incredibly emotional um, story because 15 years ago at 50 some years old, he had a stroke because of his business. And she's been his primary caregiver since then. He can't speak. And she knows for a fact, if he had read that book and implemented what I shared, his life would look dramatically different. And she read the book through the lens of, I'm having a conversation with my dad. I would have never thought that would have been the output. But those stories and several, like so many in the last few weeks, has really like gave me kind of like confirmation that it was the right move. Because like, it was not obvious. People are like, why are you writing a book on this when you're known for this or whatever? And I'm like, that's the one that I felt on my heart. When you talk about God, like guiding, I was like, this makes no sense from a strategy point of view, but it was what was on my heart. And what I've known is when I create from that place, it usually ends up in a good place. And that's why I wrote the book. Hmm. Something that, uh, I guess you could say something that I want to tell you about you is, is, (laughs) is, uh, man, it's like, there is no thinking that is going on in your brain when you are speaking and when you are doing action you are literally in the flow and in the moment of what is happening and that's something that i noticed like when we were uh, hanging together in Kelowna. that's something i'm noticing from this interview it's literally like you are in that moment and you're letting like whatever is like inside of you or whatever kind of i guess you could say like whatever instinct that you have to just come through and, uh, and yeah, that's just something that, uh, I just admire about you and I think is like super cool. And, you know, it's something that, uh, I love is just being in the flow and, and kind of just like speaking from the heart. So Dan, thanks for that, man. Yeah, man. This is, uh, an incredible interview. Incredible. We, uh, we set our intention at the very beginning and, uh, and I think we're hitting it. Um, okay. So final question for you is. Where can people buy your book? And uh, yeah, and where can people follow you? Well, it's it's at all retailers, in per, yeah. physical or in person. If they don't have it physically, you should ask them to go get a dozen copies because they should have it. Um, but if you go to buy back your time, it's the best place. And and my publisher actually pushed back on me to include a lot of the templates. Like I have this framework called the Preloaded Year. I write about it in the book, but they they couldn't figure out how to put it in the book. So go go to buy back your time and click the link to buy it and then come and claim the resources because the 
I made the book incredibly like, you know, research based and stories and all that, but it is, it is a process like that. I yeah. want it. It's a very simple process, I think. And, um, but the templates will help make that actually stick. And that's, that's what I want more than anything. And if for whatever reason, this message resonates with you, or, and, and even if I've done anything over the years to ever support you in any way possible, I ask of one thing, please go leave a review on Amazon. And the reason why is I'm on a mission to start a movement. Like, and I hope you hear it in my voice because I'm telling you, man, I am I am intense about this. I want to make buying back your time language for all entrepreneurs. I want every person that decides to start a business to learn this, to understand it, to challenge your friends. I don't care if you read my book. I don't care if you say my name. I honestly have zero attachment to how, but I want the language to be about how do you grow a life? Because this is the beauty, Dan, is you can have it. You can have an empire and have more time. And I'll prove it in the book, yeah. mathematically and visually and experientially and every aspect of Lee. Like I'll add the word, it's there. <laughs> and um, the review is how we create the groundswell and it's how we create the momentum for this to go there. So that's, yeah. that's what I would ask. And I'm on social media at all... Uh, channels, Instagram, TikTok. I got a pretty big following TikTok of all things. Uh, Dan Martel, two L's of Martel. Um, but Instagram stories is my favorite because I literally show the behind the scenes of my life and all the stuff I teach and it's all there. And if you have questions, you can hit me up there. Um, and uh, yeah, if you have an entrepreneurial group that you'd love for me to to serve, just reach out to me. And man, I'm, I'm on, I'm really loving, loving this process, man. I appreciate you and everybody else that's supported it and I can't wait to do life together. Does your audience know that you're, you're coming to hang out here? <laughs> not yet. Can we tell them? <laughs> no, oh. they do. They do not. Right. Um, okay. But yeah, secrets. Uh, yeah, little, little secrets. But yeah, I'm I'm coming down there to uh, to basically hang around uh, Dan Martell and uh, to do the hikes at Fort Knox and everything yes, in between. Yes. Yeah, super excited for that. And uh, if you are listening to this and, or watching this on YouTube. Uh, buy the book uh, and also get the templates because you only have to do it once. And then when you do it once, you are at, you are able to see exactly how the system works. And uh, and I really do feel like if it if it's to come from like any person, it's going to come from you, where you're just like crushing every single pillar in life when it comes to health, when it comes to wealth, and when it comes to your family, and when it comes to your relationships as well. So. Yeah, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, buy the book, go to buybackyourtime.com or go to Amazon or go to any bookstore, grab that book. I think it's like a big blue cover and, uh, here, and yeah, get it for you. Yeah. Bam. Look at Boom. This. I love that. I love it. that color, by the way. Yeah. The color is great. Oh, lots of debates over that color. And Oh, really? Yeah. The creative okay. process. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll show you some. I mean, look, I know this is not great content, but even inside, if you get the hardcover specifically, I've got a little Easter egg right there. Yeah. Live a bigger life. This is what I want for every person. And that's my signature. Mm. So a lot of people, Dan, I don't know if you know this, but that's my logo. Mm -hmm. It's based off my signature. So a lot of people don't realize that my personal nice. logo is actually like an embodiment of my family and my, and my personal signature that I've been signing for years. Oh, that just changes things. Cause you basically put your personal signature on everything around everything you. Uh, everything yeah. yeah because I, it's what yeah. it represents and and mm. it, it's it's the it's the thing right like i just yeah. think it's important for us to understand why we do what we do 
And yeah. and for me, that signature slash logo means so much more. And it's kind of funny because there's layers and like most people wouldn't even know that. Like your audience now knows something very few people that know me know. They don't know that's my signature. Now you know, and it's in the book. It's under the hardcover and you it's like an Easter egg. And the, the publisher's like, we can't do that on the cover. We do the spine only. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'll be your first. <laughs> Let's go. Love it. And uh, okay, get, grab the book if you're watching this. And also make sure to follow Dan on uh, all the platforms, uh, especially Instagram. I'm a big fan of just watching your stories and all the little messages that you put there. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's actually one of the most underrated, I guess you could say, IG stories on the planet right there. So make sure you're following Dan. And uh, Mr. Martel, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, this was an incredible interview. And, uh, it's, it, it, you have this like just gift of like lighting a fire underneath, uh, my ass and my heart. So that, that didn't come out the right way, but anyways, it's a good thing. I know the All way right, it's but... supposed to come out and I, <laughs> I see it and I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on and, uh, can't wait to see what the book does. It's an honor. Thank you again for listening to The Dan Go Show. We have some amazing episodes coming your way, so make sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. If you're already subscribed and today's episode hit home for you, please share this episode with someone that you know who'd benefit from listening. Take care and see you every week on your favorite podcasting app.